0: Well, would you please take your Bibles and let's turn to the New Testament book of Galatians chapter 6. At verse 6, I'm going to read through the end of verse 10. And oh, how I thank God for you. What a privilege it is to stand here and to worship with you and now get to open the scriptures together. Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 6, Paul writes... One who has taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is God's word. You'll see a picture of Mount Washington Missionary Baptist Church here in our community, and as They worship the Lord and sit under the reading and the preaching of the Word of God. Let's bow our heads and let's pray for them as well. Heavenly Father, oh how we need to see Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you please work this morning in our hearts and minds and our affections that as we open these verses that we will See something of Jesus, his greatness, his faithfulness, his beauty. And may we connect with the true riches, not the riches of this world, but the true riches. Help us to see what we can't see, understand what we can't understand left to ourselves. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts today. For the cause and the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. After 159 years of Charles Darwin's evolutionary theory, some could find it easy to slip into thinking that their actions don't really matter. Let me give you one example. Richard Dawkins, you'll see a picture of Richard. Richard is one of the most renowned atheist in the world, and he's written a lot about his atheism and his disdain for any idea of a living God. He wrote in one book, In a Universe of Electrons and Selfish Genes, Blind Physical Forces and Genetic Replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. No design, no purpose, no good, no, no evil. You might say, how in the world could anybody come to such thinking? that there's no design, there's no purpose in what we do. And you can accredit that to 159 years of Charles Darwin's evolutionary theory. Because if there's no design, no purpose, no good, no evil, then what difference does it make what we do? Our actions don't mean anything. You see, if you adopt this kind of thinking, it's easy to see how a baby in its mother's womb can be said to be human, but that it's not a person. And therefore, since it's human, but it's not a person, it can be killed at any stage during the pregnancy. See, this is the, this is the abortion argument. They will say, yes. Now, you can't hardly find a biologist now who will not agree and say, Yes. Conception, you know, life begins at conception. They're they're agreeing to that now. But they're saying now, well, it's human, but it's not a person. I mean, how could you think that? Well, after 159 years of Charles Darwin's theory of evolution, we could see how someone might think like that, that our actions just don't matter. Or take the words of Camille Paglia. She is a self-described Pagan lesbian. She said this. Fate, not God, has given us this flesh, our bodies. We have absolute claim to our bodies and we may do with them as we see fit. This has nothing to do with God. It's fate. They're our bodies. And we can do what we want with them and, by virtue of that, with whoever we see fit. So do our actions matter? Well... Let's see what our text has to say about this. And here's how I'd like to do it. Let me, let me mention first what we're going to look at. And I just want to call your attention to this this morning. I want, to, I want to say what we're going to look at first, and then we'll start looking at it. I want you to consider one we're going to see in a moment. We are natural-born sowers, so we must sow correctly. What we're going to see this morning is we are natural-born sowers. We are. We're all like little farmers we, though we don't have 10 acres or 100 acres somewhere, we are all little farmers and we all sow. And it really matters where we sow. Secondly, we're going to see that we are all susceptible to deception. We can all be deceived so easily, so we must be on guard. We can't just live your life carelessly. You've got to be on guard. It's a lot of deception. And then finally, we will see that we will reap. We will reap. So, my friends, we must not give up. So, let's look. First, we are all natural born sowers. So, we must sow correctly. Look at verse 8 with me. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. I, I see only two options there. As we're going to see in just a moment. Makes sense. There's only two options. You, you either sow to the flesh or you sow to the spirit. So we all sow. We all are going to sow. So we, we better get it right. Now, let's understand the context. What, what, what's going on here? Why is Paul saying what he's saying? Well, first, this is a letter. Remember, it is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to believers in the city of Galatia in the middle of the first century. So he's writing to Christians. He's not writing to the world. He's writing to Christians. The first thing I want you to focus on, okay, stay with me. We're going to look at a general lesson. We're going to see a general lesson here about sowing and reaping first. A few minutes later, just a few minutes later from now, we're going to drill down and see a more specific sowing and reaping, okay, the more specific thing that Paul's talking about. But let's look at the general thing here. He's using an agricultural analogy. Uh, we use analogies all the time when we speak to each other. Uh, you know, you're trying to get something across, you're trying to really get it across, and so you'll say, well, wait a minute, it's uh, it's kind of like this. Or it's kind of like this. And we're always saying that. It's, like, it's kind of like this, kind of like this, to get our point across. So to get his point across, Paul is using an agricultural term, sowing. Sowing. And, and And the point he is getting across here, and this is really important, He wants us to understand that we are responsible for the stewardship and the management of our lives, also known as we are responsible for our actions. Irregardless of what Charles Darwin would teach, irregardless of what postmodernism ideas would tell us today, we are, according to God, God, we are responsible for our actions. We are responsible for the steward and the management of our lives. So notice first in verse 8, One can live their life sowing to their own flesh. You see that? Uh, Let me say it another way. One can live to please their flesh. Now, we're not talking about our skin here. We're not talking about that, okay? Understand, something deeper than that, something far more profound than that. Paul is saying a person can choose to live to please the flesh, and they will reap corruption. So what what does it mean? Let's stop here and go, what does it mean to sow to the flesh? What does it mean to live to please the flesh? What would that look like? It would look like this. It would be to live your life outside of God's will and apart from God's guiding influence through the Holy Spirit. That's why it will say in a minute, you sow to the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is God's guiding influence in the life of the believer. So, if a person chooses to live according to the flesh, here's what it looks like. They are living their life not according to the will of God. They've thrown that to the wind. They might, now listen, they might even be a person who says, I believe that there's a God. You, you might ask them and say, do you do you?" Are you an atheist? No, I'm not an atheist. I believe in God. Yet, at the same time, their believing in God is in tension with the fact that they're living as if there is no God. They say they believe in God, but they're not living according to his will. And they're not under the guiding influence of his spirit. To say even more, here's what it looks like to live... Pleasing the flesh, it means to live to please that part of me that wants to keep control of my own life and to fulfill and satisfy my own selfish desires and to say no to God's gospel. See, God's gospel, God's good news carries with it, Van, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. You're lost. You're alienated from me. And I have good news. I have the remedy for you. And I live my life and say, look, I don't necessarily feel like I'm alienated. I don't feel like I need your help. And so I don't want anybody controlling my life. I want to live free. And so I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live with me in control of my life. I'm going to satisfy my own desires. And I don't need your gospel. That is what it looks like to sow to the flesh or to live pleasing the flesh. All right, then then Paul says that, in verse 8, but one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So, okay, we've asked, what does it look like to live pleasing to the flesh? Well, here Paul is saying, what does it look like now to sow to the Spirit or to live one's life pleasing the Spirit? What does that look like? Well, this letter, these verses are not stand-alone, all you have to do is flip back earlier in this letter to get a feel for what Paul's trying to say. And in chapter 5, just one chapter back, look at it with me. In verse 16, he says to believers, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In verse 17, he goes on to say, you know, the desires, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit against the flesh. They're opposed to each other. They war against each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So if you're a Christian, here's what's going on. There's a war going on. There's a conflict going on. And there's going to be these times, you know, your, your, your fleshly desires, you're going to be like, I want, I want to do that. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit is there to say, no, I have the guiding influence in your life. Walk according, walk in step with me, stay in step with me here. See, so already we're getting ahead at what it looks like to live pleasing to the spirit. It means this, it's living our life by faith in Jesus Christ and in reliance upon the Holy Spirit as both the motivation and the means of pleasing God. <laughs> to live according to the flesh is to say, I'm not living according to God's will. I'm going, to, I'm going to satisfy my own desires. To live according to the Spirit or sow according to the Spirit or to live pleasing the Spirit is to live for God's will and not our own. To, to, to allow and walk in step with the Spirit of God to create new desires within us, you see. So there is sowing according to the flesh. That's living to please the flesh, not in God's will. Don't care about God's will. Care about my will. Or there is sowing to the spirit that's saying i want to bring myself under the will of god and i want the holy spirit to be the guiding influence in my life create new desires within me now notice we, we've identified these two things but notice notice the consequences see there really are consequences to our actions and in verse eight the one who sows to the flesh what's what will he reap? corruption that's another word for condemnation friend if 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 you went out today and you tried to mess up your life, you couldn't do it any worse than this right here, to be condemned before God. I mean, friend, that, that's that's hitting rock bottom. Okay, and what we're seeing here is if 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 a person is living according to the flesh, and they and they might even believe that there's a God, and they might even go to church sometimes, and they might do religious stuff, but they're living according to the flesh. They're living To please their own selfish desires. What Paul is saying. You keep planting and planting and planting and planting. And there's going to come a harvest. Your actions have consequences. And the consequences here. You will reap. You're going to have a reaping of corruption. On the other hand. If you live to please the spirit. If you sow to the spirit. What will you do? Look at at it with me. Verse 8. From the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. Now, just stop right here for a moment, and there ought to be an aha moment. You you ought you ought to be going, Whoa, 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 hold it here. You ought to have a great big question after reading that. The question would sound like this. Paul, are you saying, do you mean that how I live and what I do will determine whether I get eternal life? Paul, are you saying that by... My actions, my what I do, how I live my life, sowing to the Spirit, that will gain me or merit me eternal life. Is that, Paul, is that what you're saying? Because you might then say, well, wait a minute here, preacher. I've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. I was baptized in the river. I said the sinner's prayer. I've done all these things. I've... You preachers, you say, do this, do this. I've checked that off. I've done that. I ought to be in the good by now. And now you're telling me here, yes, I am telling you that. I'm telling you this because this is what the New Testament says. When you find the judgment of God, here's what you find. God will judge us according to our works. Let me give you one example. Matthew 16 and 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Or you might conversely say, what he has not done. Now see, this is why Bible study is important, that we don't just run over things. And I'm here to, I hope, help you this morning, because you ought to be saying, wait a minute, it looks like in verse 8 that if I sow to the Spirit, you know, do do live my life right and all this, that that will get me eternal life. I thought it. I saved by grace through faith in Jesus. I just put my trust in Jesus. I kick her in the neutral, and I can just do whatever I want to do, live whatever because I've checked off the box. I've done all the things you've told me to do. And what you forgot is this: you forgot that the Bible says this. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words. The faith that you read of in the Bible or or the trust that you read of in the Bible is a trust that will be followed by a life of service unto the master, a life of obedience, a life of doing and not doing. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is a dead faith. It is a useless faith. It is not a biblical faith. So let me say it this way. A person's final standing before God will be determined by that person's relationship to Jesus Christ, yes, as revealed in his or her works. In other words, it is is an undeniable reality. When we are connected to Jesus Christ, when we are in Christ, when our trust is in Christ, Christ. It is an undeniable reality that biblical faith will result in good works for the glory of God. So there's a, there's a general thing here, that a general rule that we're seeing here. You reap what you sow, okay? And we are natural born sowers, so we better get it right. Second thing I want you to see and consider is we are all susceptible to deception, so we must be on guard. Now, here's where I want to drill down deeper. Okay, what we've just looked at is a general reality. A general reality, you reap what you sow. Our actions matter. But we're going to get more specific here because Paul gets more specific here. The specific sowing. Listen. The specific sowing that Paul is speaking of here has to do with our money. And you should be going. How do you know that? How do you know? Look at verse 6 with me. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Look at verse 10. So then, Paul is wrapping this concept up, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The specific, Sowing that Paul has in mind. There's a general, general sowing. You reap what you sow, there's a general rule. But the specific sowing that Paul is speaking of here is the mutual benefiting that is going on within the church. There is the ministry of the church that those who are part of the congregation who are receiving and benefiting from. And then there is the mutual giving. So there's a mutual receiving here and a mutual giving. Let me, let me say it this way. If there's, if there's a clear way to get Paul's point across, it's this. It's in a believer's long-term spiritual best interest to provide financially for the ministry of their local church. Let me say it again. It is in a believer's long-term, hear me, long-term spiritual best interest to provide financially for the ministry of their local church. Your children you sent over to the other side, your grandbabies, your family, dads to speak to you, husbands speaking to you, you know, is, the, is the hopefully the spiritual leader in your family, Uh, You care. I I trust that you care deeply about the long-term spiritual interest of your family. I mean, you want to lay into this thing. To where they're not just here when they're babies. They're not just in the church when they're five. And not just in the church when they're 12. But but you've laid a good foundation. And the church has come alongside of you to help encourage you as a parent. Encourage your children. To set them up for the long term. To build a good solid foundation. And Paul puts it in the simplest of terms here. Sowing to the flesh. Specifically here, he is referring to investing time and money on things that will not last or will not lead to spiritual blessing. D- you do know that you, you, you can spend your time and your money. And there's nothing wrong. Listen, don't, don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with having things. That's, that's not the point here. Sowing to the flesh a, a pattern, a lifestyle of continually sowing to the flesh is investing time and money on things that will not last. They will not last, and they will not lead to spiritual blessing. On the other hand, Paul is saying sowing to the Spirit means spending time and money on spiritual blessings and things eternal, things that you and your family long-term will benefit from. But then he goes into this interesting statement in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You may you may hear this. I don't know how you hear this right now. You may be up till now. You may be going, yeah, yeah. That's a, it's a message about money. a Message about giving. Uh, listen, this is God's word. I make no apologies for this. And the point is, God says, God is not mocked, which means God is not taken lightly. So, so we should not take this lightly. And God is saying to us. Don't be deceived. Now, why would Paul say that here when he's talking about the mutual benefit of giving and receiving within the church? Why would he say, watch out, watch out, be on guard, don't be deceived? Why? Because money has a power that can deceive us. Money money has a power in and of itself that can deceive us. Let me give you just a few biblical examples proverbs chapter 11 verse 4 riches do not profit in the day of wrath but righteousness delivers from death now what does that mean Here, here's the point money can blind you from what is really important did you know that it, riches do not profit in the day of wrath words, we, we, we've got them we've got our stuff you know and i'm okay i'm okay but there's gonna come a time in, in the day of wrath that's the day of the lord there will ultimately come a time when that will not help you at all. And so money has a way of blinding us to what's really important. Let me lay it out this way. Let, let's say you're a person, you, go, you start realizing, boy, I like money. I like money. Money can get me things. And so you start thinking, I'll, I'll, start, I'll start working more. I'll start going after it. And so you drive yourself to earn more. And then usually what happens, you know what happens, you spend more, right? And then what happens is you become busier. You see, you're working more, and then you're buying stuff. I've been here for 24 years, folks. I've seen this happen again and again. God's blessings rain down, and, you know, we've we got to have this, and we get it. And what does it do? It makes us busier. It makes us busier in life. And what happens is, what listen, what it ultimately leads to is we neglect what is really important. You see how it works? Money can blind you from what's really important. I like money. You like money. Yeah, we all like money. But don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. It can blind a person to what's really important. Secondly, Proverbs 11. Look at this. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. What's this saying? Money has the power to maximize self-absorption. Uh, You know, when it says uh, people curse him who holds back grain, what does that mean? Why would a person hold back grain? I know it's Old Testament imagery, but why would a person hold back grain? In order to drive the price up. See, a person sits there and says, I want to get as much as I can. I I don't care what it costs them. I don't care what it costs my community. I don't care what it costs my family. I I want as much as I can get. So I'm going to hold on to it, hold on to it, hold on to it, and drive up the price. Now, is that illegal? Nope. Brother Vane, it's illegal. I can do it. What's that verse say? The people curse a person who does that. When we, when we buy into the power of money to maximize self-absorption, it can bring a curse upon our lives. We must not be deceived. Don't treat God lightly about this. God actually means what he says. One other, Proverbs chapter 18. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. Isn't that an incredible verse? Uh, a righteous person walking with God, sowing to the Spirit. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord is his strong tower. You're my security. You're my everything. And so in, in the day of trouble, you run safe. But a rich man's wealth is his Strong city. It's a high wall in his imagination. What an interesting way of putting it. What's this mean? Money can make you proud and overconfident. I've got this taken care of. I've got enough. Like the rich man said, you know, kick back, live. And the Lord said, hey, tonight your soul is required of thee. Money has the power. Instead of the Lord, money has power to become our security. So here, here's the point. We're all susceptible to deception, so be on guard. When it comes to money, it has a power. It has a power to deceive us. One final thing I want you to see. Church, we will reap, so we must not give up. Uh, Look at verse 9 there, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Why does Paul say that to the church? Why? Because it can get wearisome, right? It can get wearisome giving your time and your money long-term for spiritual benefit of you and others and grow weary, get tired, get worn out. I heard a Texas-sized story about a kindergarten teacher. She uh, was in her class, and it's getting near the end of the day, and, man, she was wore out, and this little boy, he's trying to get his cowboy boots on, and he said, hey, I need some help getting my boots on. And so she went over, and they tugged and tugged and tugged and tugged and finally got the boots on. And then the little boy said, oh, they're on the wrong feet. <laughs> And so she goes, great, you know, she starts taking the boots off, and they work and work, and get the boots off, get the boots back on on the right feet, finally get them on after sweating and struggling, and finally the little boy goes, oh, these are my brother's boots. So she's got to yank the boots off. She's about to lose it now, and she takes the boots off and gets the boots finally back on, you know, and she's worn out and weary, and the little boy says, well, well, my mama said I I'm supposed to wear my brother's boots. <laughs> She has to get them back on, you know, get them back on. So she finally gets the boots back on. Everything seems to be going all right. She gets the boots on, gets his coat on, and she says, all right, where are your mittens? And he said, oh, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. <laughs> now, isn't that akin? Isn't that akin to verse 8 or verse 9, I should say? Isn't that akin to verse 9? Let us not grow Weary. Verse 9 is the idea of becoming exhausted and just giving up. And Paul knows that reality. He doesn't hide that. But notice, it's weary of what? Weary of doing good. Just what it spoke of in verse 6, which means sharing your resources. It is, it's, it is about our time and our money. It is. These verses are really about our time and money. And, and so don't go weary in doing good and sharing your resources. We've, see, Paul wants us to understand here that there's always a delay between sowing and reaping. I mean, I don't know any whacked-out farmer that plants his seed, runs out on the third day, and go, where's my crop? You know? You're it, 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 crazy. It, it takes time. There's a delay between sowing and reaping. And Paul is using that analogy again. But he does say, we will reap in due season. We really will. God's in control. God's the master farmer. God's going to bring it up. He is. If we will not give up. This church has a 40-year history. Now, I know that's not very long, really. When you start comparing some of the other congregations in our community and in our county. Some of them have been around 200 plus years. We're just a new kid on the block in a lot of ways. And I think we'd all agree that this church has lasted through difficult times, ultimately by the hand and the grace of God, right? I mean, that that's really the bottom line. But also, it has lasted through difficult times because of those who have shared all good things for the furtherance of the ministry here. I and mean, we could say that, right? I mean, I remember when I first came, and there were these dear ladies that, uh, that would sit in the front, uh, uh, Goldie Kurtzinger and uh, uh, Sister Ashby. They, they would sit in, in the front, and right, just not the front seat, but the next seat. And uh, time, from time to time, they would say to me, Brother Van, I'm on fixed income. And I thought that like, you know I don't want to hear this i don't I don't care i don't, I don't want to know but I'm on a fixed income but but i, I I'm going to give I give to do. And, and folks, I just want you to know those ladies throughout the years they gave according to their means on a fixed income, and because of them, be, because of them and people like them, some that have already passed on, they've all, already gone on to glory, they were sowing to the spirit, they were sharing all good things. not not just for their family, but for you, for your family, for families that have come along over the years. And so my question will be for you and I today, what will sustain us for the future and keep us from giving up? What will sustain Calvary Christian Center for the future? 40 years, getting ready to turn into 41, just a few months. What will sustain, and you might say any, congregation in this community anywhere what will sustain us and prevent us from giving up and growing weary and 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 becoming self-absorbed what will do that was a verse i read to you this morning in our call to worship in proverbs 11 and 24 let's look at it and quickly and we'll 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 wrap up there is one who scatters yet increases more and there's one who withholds more than is right but it leads to poverty See, for those who'd say, well, you know, uh, are you saying we need to give everything? No, no, look, and withhold, and one, there's one who withholds more than is right. In other words, there, it's a good idea to save. It really is a good idea to save. It's a good idea to buy life insurance. It, it's a good idea to be prepared and for retirement. A, these are good ideas. Just notice it says more than is right. And, 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 and God leaves us to work that out, you know. Isn't that great? But notice the first phrase. There's one who scatters, yet increases more. Now, first, what is this verse talking about? Let me tell you what it's not talking about. It is not, it is not God laying out the plan of give to get. Oh, no. It's not, it's not God laying out the foundation for the prosperity teachers to teach give to get. Well, you, you give $10, God's going to give you 100 back. You get fifty, God's going. To, you know, no, it, it has nothing to. You know why that's not it? Is because if you think like that, if you buy into that, you are still under the addictive power of money, <laughs> right? We just said a moment ago, m- money is is deceptive. It has a power. It has an addictive power to it. And so we we hear that message of give, give. You mean I can give, and I'll I'll get back some more. I'll you know, I'll, I'll increase some more. You mean that? No. It's not God saying, give and you get more. No, because if, you, if you're giving out of that kind of heart, money's got you. <laughs> money's got you, understand? So that's not at all. Well, it does say yet increases more. And that has to do with the true riches. There's true riches, right? I mean, there's, there's false riches. Those, there's those riches that can take wings and fly away, right, in the book of Proverbs. And then there's the eternal true riches that are safe and secure, and laid up in heaven for us. What is let me let me let me let me get to this. So what I, tell, I italicize the word scatters for a purpose. It's a great word. What does it mean? It means to break something up which is yours and distribute it. There is one who scatters. There's a person who has what they have: their time, their resources, their money, they have what they have. And they're, they're thinking about how, how they will, can break it up and distribute it. And what's it say? And they'll increase some more. They'll gather. They will scatter and they will gather. So here's the question. Here's what we're getting down to and we'll be done. What will sustain Calvary Christian Center for the future and keep us from giving up and growing weary of sharing all good things? What, what will keep us going? It is... By ever seeing Jesus Christ scattered in order to gather us. You look at the life of Christ and you see him breaking up and distributing. His obedience, his faithfulness. Even breaking up his body being broken for you. His blood being shed for you. There there is no greater model or example of one who scatters in order to gather you and you and you. By knowing, listen, by knowing that only Jesus can give us true riches, by knowing that only Jesus can give us true significance and security, this will give us the courage, this will give us the courage to be men and women who will continue to scatter in order to gather others into the family of God. So go this week, Go this week and sow to the Spirit. And and don't treat God lightly. Believe Him. Trust Him. Knowing that your actions matter. What you're doing really matters. And as you sow to the Spirit, you're scattering. You're, You're following the example of Jesus. You're following the model of Jesus. And you're breaking up and distributing what you have. You're sharing all good things in order that others will be gathered into the kingdom of God.